normally when I come and preach anywhere, I use a complete manuscript. Like I write out everything I'm going to say. Well, today, I'm not going to do that. And I feel really comfortable doing that here because y'all have loved me so much for so long. And I know that you'll be extra, super, abundantly gracious with me. I've got some notes, and I'm, I'm hopeful that um, as I trip and fall and stumble my way through the text that um, you will love me the way Jesus wants you to. So, yeah, really, really good. So, I know Joe's probably thinking, <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> and that's probably true, but... Um, Let's find out by opening up to John chapter 15 together. John chapter 15 together. So not long ago, my wife and I went to California to visit some friends that moved out there from central Illinois, specifically San Francisco. And it was a wonderful trip. And while we were there, we went to the, to the Wine Valley. And if you've never been there, you really need to go. It's absolutely beautiful. Not only the homes... And the mountains, I mean, the, the land, there's so many acres of just beautiful, well-manicured vineyards and farmland and all kinds of really interesting things. Absolutely interesting. It's absolutely wonderful to go there. And we learned, we learned a few lessons while we were there. One, there is such a thing as drinking too much wine. When you go out to the wine country the one thing that you have to do is go on wine tastings. And they don't give you a lot of wine during a wine tasting. It's just a sip or two of, of, from some select wines. But a sip or two for four hours every 15 minutes, I mean, I'm a little embarrassed to say it'll make you a little saucy. It'll make you a little saucy. So there is such a thing as drinking too much wine. Number two. Wine is not the only industry in the valley. It's filled with high-tech, all kinds of manufacturing. Traditional farming is just as significant in the valley where wine is grown as wine is. And I'm just, I was just really, really super surprised about that. And probably the most significant lesson was there is far more labor involved in winemaking than I initially thought. And you would think that with all of those, with all the industry, with all the machines that have been manufactured to help you do almost everything, some of those make jobs, some of those take away jobs, but they do so many amazing things. Yet in winemaking, there is not one machine that helps you make or, or cultivate grapes. It doesn't. Processing them is one thing, but to grow them and cultivate them is completely done by hand. It's completely done by hand. It is a personal interaction between people and the actual vine that requires that to happen, right? And that's kind of what we see here right in the beginning of John chapter 15, where it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. In some of your versions, it'll say vine dresser. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. I want to just start out by saying that 
John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. There's so much, there's so many places to dig that I don't really fully understand everything there is to understand. Okay, just so we get to, just so we know that, that we're not going to hit every tiny little thing. But this, this phrase, I am the true vine, is a pretty significant one. The, that I am statement, that is one of seven I am statements in the Bible. I don't think I remember them all, but I am the door, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection of the light and the life, I am the good shepherd, um, obviously I am the true vine. I know there's another one in there, Joe. I don't know what it is. Um, I am the truth and the life. Yeah. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, wonderful things. And really, that I am statement is really declaring one thing. That Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. Right? That word vine is another important word. And it is found all over the Scripture. And in almost every case, that word vine refers to the nation of Israel. Right? God's chosen people that he let out of slavery and planted into a promised land. And he commanded them to bear the fruit of faithful obedience. And as the story goes, they were not so good at doing that. They were not so good at doing that at all. They initially started out really, really good. Really, really good. Um, they obeyed. And then they stopped following God and disobeyed. Trouble would come. They would cry out to God. He would rescue them because he's such a good and faithful God. They would repent, turn back to God, follow him again, and then five seconds later, stop following him and disobey him. And that just repeated, rinse and repeat for like 3,500 years. Really is an amazing story. And what Jesus is trying to say by saying, I am the true vine, he's saying, listen, I am God, I came from heaven, and I stepped into creation to plant a vineyard. And my vineyard, and those who attach themselves to me, those who grow from me, they will bear fruit. They will bear fruit, because they have attached themselves to me. You've got to understand that for the nation of Israel, the law was life. The law was life. And Jesus says, I am life. I'm the resurrection and the life, right? If you attach yourself to me, then you will bear the fruit of faithful obedience. And it's just not Jesus working in our life when we attach ourselves to him. It's his father, the vine dresser or, or the gardener. And what I learned in my trip to California was the vine dresser, which is actually what it's called, has a very specialized kind of job. They have tools of the trade, right? But they've got to get into the vine and touch the vine and cultivate the vine by hand. And the first thing they do as branches sprout out from the vine is inspect the strength and the connection of the branch. Because they can, they can tell just by looking at the branch if it's going to actually be fruitful and produce the bloom that they want. right? And if, if God doesn't see strength, if the vine dresser doesn't see strength, he will, he will cut that branch right off. But if he does find strength, he will clean that branch initially. He has to clean the branch. 
And then over time, as the branch grows, he prunes the branch, cultivating the branch, right? Turning the branch into something um, that he wants it to be. And I think there's some interesting relationships that I want to just briefly touch on really, really quickly. There's a relationship between the vine and the vine dresser, right? Josh faithfully teaches almost every week about uh, the Trinity in the catechism that he does, right? We worship one God that's made up of three persons. And those three persons have different roles and responsibilities in the Trinity, right? And we see those different responsibilities here. Jesus is the giver of life. The Father is the cultivator of life, right? And his tool that he uses ultimately is the Holy Spirit, right? It's a really interesting relationship. And there's an interesting relationship between the branches, between branches, right? There are healthy branches, and then there are unhealthy branches. The branches, by the way, as far as we see, look look the same. But the vine dresser is a keen inspector of the branches. He sees the leaves, and he sees if there's disease on the leaves. And he has to remove what they call the suckers. Those leaves suck the life, the water, out of the branch. And they prevent light and life from, from, from being seared into the good and healthy branches. Right? You've got to know that there are a lot of different types of followers of Jesus. There are healthy, strongly connected followers of Jesus, right? And there are weak, um, surface-level followers of Jesus, right? I mean, it's well known that Jesus is um, he's a really great teacher, right? He teaches wonderfully moral things, and that's easy to follow a person like that. And there are many people that, that come here and they want to sit and hear the good teaching of Jesus. But they really don't want to find new life in him. They don't really want to follow him and be connected to him. But they want to take the, that, that wonderful information, that wonderful knowledge, and then go about it their own way, right? But God says, but Jesus says, you have to be connected to me to bear fruit. And God has to do his work with you so you could be even more fruitful. And sometimes the bad vines have got to be, the bad branches have got to be removed or taken away from the good branches. We have a lot of relationships in life, right? A lot of relationships. Some of those are super healthy relationships. Some of those look like healthy relationships, but they're not, right? And we have to. We have to sometimes evaluate our life and be willing to remove the unhealthy relationships or at least change the direction of the unhealthy relationships, right? Um, I think Earl just said that this church is known to show the love of Christ, right? Separating yourself from a relationship doesn't mean removing yourself from that relationship at all. It means just maybe the nature of the relationship changes, right? And in a place like Chili Bible, we learn that relationships are really, really important. And we want to be in really healthy relationships. And we have to trust God, right, that he will bring people into our lives and take people out of our lives, those that are good for us and bad for us. Really, really important. In verse 3, though, it says this. It says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. 
In order for you to bear fruit on the vine, to bear fruit of faithful obedience, being connected to Jesus, you need to first, you need that initial cleaning, right? You need that initial cleaning. And we know that in order to be clean from the things that keep us away from the vine, that separate us from the vine, is simply believing the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done. Right? If you want to be clean, you have to believe the gospel. It's a really simple message, church. You've heard it so many times, right? Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. Right? The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the only way to be cleaned and connected to the vine. You have to believe that Jesus has done all that is necessary for salvation. Right? His finished work on the cross. If you put your faith in that finished work to save you from the penalty of sin, you will get that initial cleaning. That initial cleaning. And then at that point, God will start to remove some of the other suckers that grow up in your life. Right? Because we've got to remember, although the blood of Christ will wash us clean of our sin, we're still covered in sinful flesh in a world ruined by sin in relationship with people broken by sin as well. And God's going to reveal these wonderful, these, these little suckers in our life that need to be removed. Right? It's really, really important that we understand that truth, that you must first have initial cleaning before you can continue your the process of cultivation with God. Um, it's, a, it's a glorious and wonderful thing. Verse number four says, remain in me. A lot of your Bibles say abide in me. I really like the word abide, but I like this translation a little bit better. So I might go back and forth between abide and remain and just be patient with me as I do that. It says, remain in me as I also remain in you. This is really important, right? When that initial cleaning happens through faith in Jesus alone, God fills you with His Holy Spirit. Right? He's remaining in you, actually, whether you even remain in Him or not. Right? He, is connect- he, he dwells inside of you and lives with you. Um, and no branch can bear fruit without that actually happening. Without the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit in you, you cannot bear fruit by, by yourself. You, you just can't. You cannot bear fruit by yourself, right? You have to have a positional change before you can have a relational change, right? You got to get yourself into the family of God before you can start working on your relationship with those inside the family of God, up to and including Jesus Christ. Super, super important. It's kind of like adoption, right? A number of you have adopted. I've adopted myself. And, and prior to adoption, the child doesn't really know you. Right? There's nothing that... There, you are of no value to them really at all until, until you bring them into your family. And then once they're in your family, they have all the rights to you as parents as every other child. Right? If, if you go to court and you finalize your adoption... Every time, the judge will say something like, 
at this point forward, this child is considered a part of your bloodline just like every other child, right? And they will never not be your child. Listen, you might walk away as an adopted child from your family, but they're still your family, right? You need to have that positional change before you can get all the access to the wonderful things about being a Christian, about being connected to the vine, right? You will not have life if you have no connection to the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in Jesus. Now the word abide or remain in some of your Bibles, that actually shows up 11 times in 17 verses. I don't know that much about the Bible. I don't. There's so much to know, right? But when something is said 11 times in 17 verses, it's probably a pretty important thing to know, right? Um, and I, I don't know Greek. Joe knows Greek. Josh might know Greek. Rick might know Greek. Um, but that word is the word meno. And um, it's a really, really important word. It means to take residence in. Maybe another way of saying it would be to, to make your home with. Right? And the best thing I love, I, what I love about home is that it's a place that you go to get life. Oh, you go to get some corrections. You go to get some cleaning, right? But you go to get a lot of encouragement and life, right? When you go home, a college kid comes home from school, and maybe they've had a rough semester. And one of the first things they do when they get home is, is just dive into the love of their parents and their siblings, right? There's just a comfort in being with people that, that love them. And you've got to know that um, being at home with Jesus is the best place for you to be. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We live in a pretty sensitive culture, right? And when people are direct with us, oftentimes we get a little offended by it, right? Um, they don't, people don't, uh, we don't like honesty right in your face. Um, we've just become very, very sensitive as, as, a, as a church and just as a general culture in the United States. And I love how Jesus makes it really, really clear here in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Right? I'm the giver of life. You are the receiver of life. You can't give life to yourself, right? You can't give life to yourself. You can't produce fruit on your own. I'm the only one that can do that for you, right? You can't just say, okay, Jesus, thank you very much for life, and now let me go after it myself, right? I have a lot of friends, uh, like many of us do, and, and there's a guy named Bud. He's just a super nice guy. and He was famous for, for really studying the Scripture really hard. I mean, he was in the Word all the time, in prayer all the time, and then once God revealed that truth to him, right, maybe it was an obedience issue, he would say, okay, God, I got it, now let me just go and take care of it myself. Right? That's not at all how it works. Right? Your, your dependence, your fruit production is dependent on your connection, your constant connection with the vine, with Jesus. If you do not remain in me, verse 6, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
Now, I'm not really sure exactly what that verse actually means totally. There's a lot of argument around what that means. But I would say this to you. I'll say two things to you. One, if you do not abide or remain in a relationship with Jesus and maintain that constant connection with Him, you will wither. You will be unfruitful, right? You will not follow very well. You will not be of great value to anybody else that's following Jesus. I mean, that's just a simple truth. You have to maintain that connection to Jesus to be fruitful and to help produce fruit in other people, right? Or to encourage fruit production in other people, right? Super, super important. But it also tells us that there will be judgment for those who are not connected to the vine, there will be judgment. And they will be thrown into a pile. And they'll be gathered. And they'll be burned. And it's really important that you understand why things are collected like that. Why the, um, the unfruitful, dead, withering branches are connected together into a pile. Because those branches have disease on them. And if you don't remove the disease, the disease gets back into the ground and finds its way back to the vine again and up into the branches again. You've got to remove the sin, right? So, um, so the good fruit is cultivated. You've got to get it out of there, right? And, and we as a church, right, Joe talks about sin and the need to confess that sin. It's so important, guys, that you are regularly inspecting your life. And, and, and being willing to bring that before the Lord in confession, right? And in that moment of confession, forgiveness is, is given to you, right? And God will be gracious to, to, to do a little pruning with you, right? You've got to know that you've got it before you can get rid of it. And He wants to get rid of it for you. He wants to get rid of it for you. It says here in verse number 7, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you're wondering how to have an abiding life in Jesus, I think verse 7 gives us a little insight into how to make that happen. I think there are, there are three ways that come from this text. One of them is, if you remain in me or abide in me, right? And abiding is believing. Abiding requires faith. You have to believe you're going to bear fruit in Jesus, right? You've got to believe it. You've got to have faith. Number two, you've got to have time in God's Word. If you abide in me or remain in me and my words remain in you, you will bear much fruit. You've got to have faith. You've got to believe that, you, that Jesus is going to bear fruit in you. That you are going to bloom and blossom. And He gives you His Word to help you do that. You've got to spend time in God's Word. I mean, Joe is a great teacher. Josh, great teacher, right? And it's wonderful to sit here and listen to the great teaching. But you need to be in the Word yourself. You've got to get into the Word if you want to abide and have that, that family-like, life-giving relationship with Jesus. You gotta have faith. You gotta have time in your in the word. And you need to have prayer. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
right? You've got to have faith. You've got to believe that Jesus is going to bear fruit in you. You've got to get into His Word. Hear Him speak to you. What a glorious song it is. And you've got to get in prayer and sing back to Him. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing to devote yourself some time receiving life from Jesus in those three areas. It really is an amazing thing. And the, and, and, what, and the fruit of that, I love the fruit of that, the fruit of that is that your thinking changes completely, right? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We know that the Bible teaches that when we pray God's will, God, God will respond, right? The more you believe, the more you're in God's Word, and the more you pray, the more your thinking will be transforming, transformed, and the desires, your desire will change, and God will fulfill those desires. Now, He doesn't always fulfill everyone, and not everyone is fulfilled in exactly the same way, or at least the way you hoped for, but you've got to understand that there's a glorious, supernatural change in your thinking that happens when you abide in Jesus. It's really, really quite wonderful. And your desire will change. Right? You'll want to glorify God, verse number 8. You'll want to glorify God, right? A follower of Jesus desires the same thing that Jesus desires, to glorify his Father. And that desire will be cultivated in you, in those, if you, if you continually dig into those three areas of your life. Belief, time in God's Word, and prayer. And as Joe said, my, maybe my favorite verse in the Bible. Probably not, but at least today it is. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. He goes on to say, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Some might say your joy may be full. I like complete joy. Full is good, but I like complete joy, right? If there's anything that we can learn from the Scripture today, if there's anything that I say to you, if there's anything I want you to walk away with, any truth that you need to grab a hold of that is totally life-changing, God loves you. He loves you. You are loved by the King of the universe. And the kind of love that verse 9 is talking about here, man, it is an eternal, unchanging love that exists outside of your performance for Jesus. Your love, Jesus' Jesus's love for you, it doesn't grow. It's as full as it could ever be all the time, every moment of the day. You can't earn the love. You've got to know that it's available to you 24 by 7, 365 days a year. I mean, it's a love that is on tap. It's a love that's on tap. You need to take big, heaping drinks of life and love from the well that Jesus is. You gotta drink from it every day. Every moment of every day, you gotta know 
that God loves you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't even matter what you've done. He loves you. He loves you. Bill Allison, he's a friend of Chillicothe Bible Church and a wonderful man, and I've watched him preach before. And <clears throat> He was asked to go and serve a church one weekend, and it was a really big church out in Iowa, multi-services. I think there were three services. And, and um, uh, as he arrived at that church and was waiting to preach, he was up on the platform sitting in a chair in what they called their, their traditional service, which is really just like 150 almost 200 older folks, people that were literally over the age of 80. He was the youngest guy in the church, no question about it. And as is traditional in that type of service, a hymn is being sung. Hymns are being sung, right? Not a lot of contemporary music in those traditional services. And that, that wonderful song that we all know very well was sung right before he began preaching. And that song is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Why? The Bible tells me so. And when they were singing that song, he had this, he, he talks about this emotional feeling that was rising up inside of him. And he says, man, like a good American preacher, as the tears started to come out, he sucked them right back up into his eye sockets. Right? And he went about doing the job that God had called him to do. Right? And he preached those three services faithfully. He eventually found his way at home with his family. He's got a big family, like seven kids. I don't know, if, but there could be 12 by now. I have no idea. I mean, they are fruit producing big time. Um, had, some, had a wonderful afternoon with his family, sat down and had a great dinner. And as the evening drew, drew, to, drew to a close, he found himself on the back deck. He was out there thinking, Lord, what were you doing in me? What are you doing in me there in the morning when they were singing that song? It's like, I've been telling my kids that for years that Jesus loved them. We've been singing that song for years. I know that you love me, Lord. And in that moment of quiet reflection, he heard that still, small voice. And it said, but now you finally believe it. But now you finally believe it. Jesus does, in fact, love you. He loves you with a supernatural love. He loves you with a personal love, with an intimate love. He loves you with an extraordinary love, with an undeserving love. But he actually loves you. I mean, how amazing is it that the God of the universe loves you so much that He reveals your sin through the pain of pruning to transform you so that you can receive His love more abundantly. I mean, you have a love relationship with Jesus. And it's not dependent on your love for Him at all. 
but his love, but, but for his love for you. Your love for Jesus, the Father, your brothers and sisters, is dependent on his love for you completely. It's completely dependent on him. I know that some of you are thinking about what's going to happen at the end of my life. What's going to happen when Jesus returns? And you're literally afraid of how you're going to be judged. You're afraid of it. You're scared. What is he going to say to me? He's going to tell you that he loves you. And he's going to give you reward and it's going to be glorious. And he's going to say, welcome home. Because your sin was judged on the cross. And that's something you will never have to pay for again. When you go to be home with Jesus, you will be welcomed into His loving arms. In His loving arms. It says in verse number 10, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I just want you to know, I looked at the paper today. And it was a big story right on the front page. Big, bold letters. Followers of Jesus actually do what Jesus does. They follow. They follow. Right? You will, you will remain in the comfort of Jesus' love when you follow Him. I remember a time I was, this is when I was young in my driving days. I was following my brother in a city, in a place I, I, I was not familiar with. And it was nighttime. And I'm a young driver still, maybe 18 or 19 years old. I really am still not very good at driving, especially at nighttime. <clears throat> well, during the, during the drive, because I was a little frisky as a 19-year-old, and, you know, it's always great to have 19-year-olds old, in the house because they know everything there is to know. I decided that I would go a slightly different way because I felt like, based upon where he was telling me to go, I knew how to get there better. And I made a right turn. And I got to tell you, I was so confused. I had no I mean, when you're in the city, there are one ways and two ways and no ways and don't enter and enter all over the place. You can really get, you can really lose your bearings very quickly, right? And I was actually fearful because I didn't know where I was. And there were no cell phones back then, so I couldn't stop. Those were the days when you pulled over and you put your four-ways on and you were hoping that your brother, your dumb brother, who has lost his way, right, would find his way back to you. And eventually, I can praise the Lord now for this. I did not back then. I found my way back on the road that I was traveling and even though I got on the road, I still didn't see him right away, but I had to just keep driving a little bit more, a little bit more. And eventually, there he was on the side of the road and with his four ways on. I pulled in behind him. He didn't get out of the car. He just put his hand out the window and gave me the thumbs up. And at that moment, there was a comfort that I experienced knowing that I was being, by the, being led by the one who is, who is the leader, who knows where to go, 
and how to get there. Right? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. It's an extraordinary thing to live your life being led by Jesus. Now, some of you think that obeying God's command is kind of just drudgery. Like, really? I got to do it again? Right? I got to keep following you, keep obeying you? Right? I mean, you're asking me to do an awful lot. And for some of you, it just kind of zaps your energy. But when you faithfully follow Jesus, and you get a clearer sense of the love that he has for you by following him, verse 11 fills your heart. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full. Guys, listen. God is not in the heavens wagging his finger at us. Right? He's not disappointed in us. Right? He's not mad at us. He doesn't work that way. When he says he loves you, he loves you. And when you follow him, you get a real clear sense of how, of how that love sort of unfolds in your life. But he desires you to follow him and obey him for your joy. Not for your sorrow, not for your sadness, not to hurt you in any way. He wants you to experience joy and he knows that if you obey him and follow him, that you will experience a joy this world will never, ever give you. It's really quite amazing. I mean, I have spent so many days making the choice to not love my, love my wife as Christ loved the church. But those days where God reveals that to me, and I bring that before Him, And I ask for forgiveness for that. He'll cut that off of me, right? And the next day is always so much better. It's always so much better. So much better. But it is for your joy that Jesus wants you to follow him, okay? And the thing that he wants you to do, the, the, the big command of this passage is a really simple one. Verse number 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for, his, for, his one, for, his, for one's friends. Hey, how did Jesus love us? This is a Sunday school question. How did Jesus love us? He died for us, right? He died for us. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. I've made known to you. How is it? How do we give our lives to love others? 
How do we give our lives to love others? I've got five simple ways to do that. You ready? Here they are. One, first way to love others is to allow yourself to receive love. I mean, some of you, some of you are going through some really difficult times. Struggling through difficult relationships. You've been hurt. You put your heart out on the table and it's been just stomped on so many times. Sickness. Maybe divorce. There's just so many ways that you have been hurt that close you off from receiving love from people. If we're going to love others, we have to learn how to receive love. Love from Jesus, right? We have to learn how to receive that from, from others. There are people in your life today, and they just want to hold your hand. They just want to give you a hug. They want to walk with you and talk with you. Right? They want to tell you how much Jesus loves you. They don't want to try and solve your problems. Right? They just want to be a friend. Because they're friends of the Lord. I mean, how extraordinary is that idea of being a friend with Jesus? You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends and revealed everything that my father has told me. I've given it all to you. In verses 14 and 15, I love how Jesus just kind of, he always turns things upside down in the Bible. It's continually flipping the script, right? The proud become humble. The humble are exalted and the enemy the enemy becomes his friend. Right? And friends walk and talk with one another. There's no secrets between friends. God loves you so much that he gave you his word to help you obey him. All you need to know about maintaining an intimate relationship with Jesus and with those you are walking with it's found right here in the Bible. There are no secrets with God. There's not a, it's not a hidden message, right? The truth is right here. The truth is right here. If you want to know how to love others, read the Bible. Walk with other people, right? See love in action. says in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. As I just did a little bit of studying about this verse, I will tell you that there is so many arguments, so much argument and division among what this means. But at the very least, I think it means this, that the apostles were called to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. I mean, they were called to be the founders of a spirit-filled church that was connected to Jesus. 
They were chosen for that very purpose. It's a glorious purpose indeed. Friends, we have a responsibility to preach the gospel to the nations. Telling them about God's love for them in Jesus and teaching them, showing them what love, what loving one another is like. I remember I was talking last week with Rick about some of the challenges my church is having. And they're pretty significant challenges. And he reminded me of a book that he, that he himself has read and that I've read probably two or three years ago. I actually listened to it on Audible. And it's a book by Francis Schaeffer called The Mark of a Christian. And essentially, Francis Schaeffer says this in the book. Essentially, he's trying to get at this idea that how does the church reveal the love of God to the world? How do they do that? Um, and he goes on to say they do that by loving one another even when there's differences among them. That, that the church, that, that our love is a seeable thing. like It's visible. It's not just something that we say, but we actually do that. It tells us that the final apologetic for every Christian is not the words that they speak, but the love that they show. Obedience is a real thing for a Christian. Now, it's not always easy, but it produces the most delightful, attractive blooms that reveal the love of God to one another and the watching world. Not every season is going to be fruitful but the fruit that comes from abiding, being connected to Jesus is beautiful fruit. i got just one little thought that I want to share with you before I get out of here. And that is this. Grapes. Grapes are formed in bunches. And although they are individuals, they grow together. And as a matter of fact, an individual grape cannot grow on its own. It requires the bunch. You are a bunch of grapes. Around CBC, we love the phrase discipleship relationship. And that's people living life together and seeking Jesus together. And if you really desire to bear fruit, to glorify God and faithfully obey, his command to love one another. You need to be doing life with others. You need to be connected to the vine and be in a bunch. You need to be with a bunch of beautiful, ripening grapes. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to get into a small group. It's, it's, it's one of the most life-giving ministries any church can offer you is to get connected with other gripes, great gripes, <laughs> amen, um, with other grapes that are being ripened by God. It is a glorious thing, right? You have to be in a community of people. you got to be. If it's not a small group, get connected to a small discipleship group. These are the groups that meet every week, every other week, once a month, right? Three or four people studying the Bible together, praying together, confessing their sin together, encouraging one another in the faith. 
Guys, be a bunch of grapes. And if you do, I promise you, the bloom that grows from you, that sprouts from you, will be some of the most delightful, attractive fruit the world will ever see. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. Father, I pray, God, even though as I stumbled through it, Lord, that you would just bless those and encourage those, Lord, that you would um, convict where you need to be convicted, Lord, that you would prune, Lord, because you have great love for your vine. You have great love for the branches and the fruit that is produced in them. Jesus, I pray, God, that we would just float away knowing that we are loved by you. Lord, help us to believe that you love us. Help us to have that moment of intimacy with you. Lord, please, if there's anything that's preventing that love connection from happening, Lord, I pray that you would that you would reveal Jesus to them today. Oh Lord, they need the love of Jesus. Would you shower them, feed them, and fill your church with that love today, I pray. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.